Greetings from Tromerville. I'm Lloyd Kaufman, president of Troma Entertainment and creator of the Toxic Avenger. You know, folks, when the Troma team and I are not making those amazing movies like Tromeo and Juliet, Terra Firma, and the... We like to sit back and enjoy the Mac, the Macnez podcast because the Macnez podcast... It's the most educational, entertaining, and really uh, delightful podcast on the face of the earth. Thank you, and uh, Lloyd Kaufman signing off. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Magnus Podcast, episode 133. We're back in the place to be. Uh, it's been a while. We've been doing nothing but E-Society and everything else. So thank you for listening to that and all the other things I got going on with the Horror Returns. Uh, shout out to Brother Brian. But I got one of my brothers from the old school, straight out of East Oakland. The ghetto Geppetto himself, Mr. Roy Miles. What's up, brother? How are you doing? What's happening, bro? I'm doing very well. 133 episodes. I feel like I should have been episode one, bro, but it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, it's been, I don't know, six, almost seven years I've been doing this. And yeah, man, it's been a it's been a long mission, man. I I should be up higher in my episodes. But once E-Society got involved, that kind of took over. We're like, uh, geez, somewhere in the thousands uh, with that one. Wow. But uh, we're doing good. And for those of you that do know uh, the Ghetto Geppetto, uh, if you follow him on Instagram, I know some of my listeners do as well as my sons and uh, all my other friends. But um, Roy and I have been buds since Montero, junior high. 1984. Yeah. And the perfect year. (laughs) Known each other. I mean, I've only I only keep in touch with a handful of uh of the homies that I went to high school with. And uh, Roy's always been one of them. He's always been hella cool. I used to go kick it at his house on Saturdays, mm-hmm. watch TV and this and that, uh, kick it with his sister, watch Headbangers Ball all night. <laughs> and just, yeah, man, skating down the roads and watching Roy fall. And you, could have been my, you could have been my brother. <laughs> or brother-in-law. That would have been the best. Uh, no. <laughs> Shout so out to way, way back. And even with my wife, you go back to kindergarten with my wife, I think. Uh, no, uh, second grade That's is when right. I That's met pretty her. far. That's pretty yeah, far back. When I met her. And yes, yeah, all elementary, junior high, and high school. And it's it's been a it's been a That's mission, a man. One hundred years. Yeah, but uh, Roy, man, he's he's an amazing guy, awesome artist, uh, director, writer, producer, everything. Um, Ghetto Geppetto. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, man, that's that's fresh, man. That, that's a good name. Where'd you come up with the that one? Man, back in I'd say around ninety eight, ninety nine, I was I went back to school the second time to learn animation, and uh, I was fake freestyling one day. And- <laughs> And I said that, you know, I don't even know what the line I said, but those words came together. And around that time, I was, uh, you know, doing learning 3D modeling and stuff. And so to me, it was funny. I always kept that in the back of my head. Uh, so when I did my first toy uh, on the package, I put Roylex, which was sort of my nickname at the time. And I said, you know, a.k.a. Ghetto Geppetto. And it, that became sort of the thing. Yeah, one of your biddies around, or I think it's in the living room on the on the shelf. I need to put it here in the studio. Yeah, put it um, in the proper place. <laughs> um, Roy, I know he's been a he's been a good artist since we were since we were kids and everything. And I do remember seeing your artwork when we were when we were going to Skyline. Shout out to Skyline Titans. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mr. Green's class. I remember seeing uh, your artwork in there. And just always being amazed on how good of an artist you were. I mean, not to kiss my homie's ass and everything, but he's always been <laughs> legit. He's been he's been at this for a minute. And then we kind of lost contact for a little bit because when I, when I moved out the bay, and then uh, 
I don't remember what we ran into each other. I think it was at WonderCon in San Francisco. I ran into you and Dave one time. Yeah, yeah. We were doing uh, – and they had moved WonderCon from Oakland, right, to yeah. San Francisco, the first year in San Francisco. Uh, and I ran into you and a couple other homies there, and I was super excited to see you. So that was – yeah, I remember that. that was, yeah, that was it's like awesome. a long time ago now. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been, they moved it down to Anaheim and – yeah. I haven't gone to that one yet. I've only I just went to all the ones that were in San Francisco. And a shout out to Jesse Hernandez, the Urban Aztec. Yes, um, that's where I used to always see him. Uh, he's down in San Diego right now, where we should be, but uh, we're gonna be losers that's this year. Too. That's, that's my <laughs> dude too. I met him at a uh, uh, a place. He was working at a puppet facility. Uh, you know, like a puppet uh, design company. They did puppetry and stuff, and he was like their in-house animator. And I went there to get some stuff done. And <laughs> they were like, hey, black guy, meet the, meet the Mexican guy. Because <laughs> I was at, I had my little rap toy. And they were like, nobody here knows, knows what this is, but this one guy. <laughs> I said, oh, you're, you're putting all the brown people together. <laughs> Do you have a, um, a name for your uh, company or is it just Ghetto Geppetto? It's just Ghetto Geppetto. When I made my first toy, the biddies, the company was called Warning Label Design. And, uh, yeah, that was it for a while. But once I, I started making stuff other than the biddies, you know, mm-hmm. um, I kind of dropped the warning label. The warning label was sort of a kitschy sort of catch-all at the time, but I just got tired of it. And the biddies name was so was already a cool name. Um, and then they had the acronym of the back in the days and all that stuff. And, I, I was known as the Biddies guy for a long time. And then uh, when I was making <laughs> other stuff, I just uh, started using Ghetto Geppetto as like more of a, a moniker for just me as an artist and sort of made that the the trademark sort of, that's me, you know. When you got into the uh, little vinyls, vinyls, right? And that's what a lot of people, collectors are calling them now. Yeah. And those were vinyl and those were, uh, you know, actually technically they were, you know, uh, injection mold toys like G.I. Joe with uh, ABS. But yeah, they were, fell into the urban vinyl category early on in the old kid robot days, I guess. When you when you design those, I mean, is it all just computer designs and you send it off to the manufacturers and they put them all together? Or? Initially, like the first stuff I designed, the first, the bitty stuff, I, I did 3D bottles, but at that time in the year 2000, 1999, 2000, when I found a factory to, to, to look at the designs. I send them 3D renders and they were like, we don't know what this is. It looks like you already have a toy that's made, you know? And so I sent drawings and then they sort of sculpted those the old school way. But about four or five years later, like the 3D modeling, like the, the CAD files started to become a thing that you could use in that sort of uh, rapid prototyping. And then, you know, 10 years later it became more normalized and now that's how it's done, period. You know, you design it in a program uh, like ZBrush or um, Nomad or whatever 3D program you have, and then you send it off to, you can print it yourself and check out the prototype. If you're going to do mass production, you can send that off to China, or you can do your own stuff with resin and pour your own, your own molds and stuff like that, which I'm not into pouring my own molds. I'm not into that. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of your stuff. I'm sure, I'm sure I haven't seen everything. I've seen your just your regular in the ink, the pencil art, uh-huh. uh, as well as your wood uh, art you've done, designs. I remember coming over one time when you were getting ready for a show and oh, yeah, yeah. going <laughs> go, go, go to uh, the studio and seeing uh, the Hoodfoot stuff, especially the, the puppets, and as well as the life-size giant ones. Um, I don't want to call them costumes or whatever. Yeah, they're <laughs> for, not costumes. They're mascots, you know. All that stuff. I mean, I was just like, wow. I mean, other than seeing all the stuff, I mean, Facebook or Instagram and whatever, but and watching the videos on YouTube, man, I'm just like, damn, man. My boy's been, he's been at work. He's been to work. And <laughs> and it's good, man. And when I see that, when I see uh, out and about and I see the, the Hoodfoot stickers here and there on whatever, uh-huh. I've seen it on a lot of DJ cases. I've seen them on like just where people stick stickers everywhere throughout the Bay. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I always see that. And it's, it's just cool. One time I saw it on the back of a car. It was, it was a, a bigger one. Oh, wow. And, uh, 
And I was like, wow. I mean, I was like, I only got a handful of those things around here somewhere. <laughs> I, I have stickers on my door. And uh, I, I never I have know a, where they're going to go. You know what I mean? Like, I, I would, you know, I give them to people all the time. I don't give them out as much because, you know, the pandemic made me stay away from people a bit more. But uh, when I was at, when I do conventions and stuff like that, I always give away stickers and patches and anything I can afford to give away. Um, just to, you know, I think it's funny to see that stuff in the wild. Uh, somebody sent me a picture, like there was an abandoned refrigerator in West Oakland. And it was, it was the sticker was on the refrigerator. Like it, like that was in somebody's house on the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> and they just threw, they threw that shit on the ground, you know, out in the street. I thought that was the best thing ever. When you um, videos working with like Too Short and Green Day and all that, I mean, how before you got into directing, I mean, what what pushed you in that to where if you wanted to to direct not just videos but anything? I mean, what got you into all that? Man, I wanted to do that. My I don't I don't remember. There's when I found out that there was a director that made the movies, like the person in charge of the movies was a director. Um, that's what I wanted to do. Like I didn't know how to do it. And you know how we grew up, there was no such thing that we knew about, you know. Um, we didn't really see a lot of that, you know, people that are black and brown, like, doing that stuff, you know. And so, but, you know, I'm, there's a caveat to that, man, because this is Oakland, and we had the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame here. So by the time I got to high school, I was pretty up on the fact that there were black directors. We also growing up here in the Bay Area, you know, George Lucas was a big part of, uh, and Francis Ford Coppola. They were both huge filmmakers, of course, but also they were based here. And so the more I learned, I felt by the time I was out of elementary school uh, and was in junior high school, I had I was already reading those books. I was reading books about making film more than anything. Um, a lot of people didn't know that, but I was getting in trouble at the library at the junior high school because they were like, "Have you, do you still have this George Lucas book? Do you still have this Alfred Hitchcock book?" I, and trust me, I was getting bad grades and everything, but I knew everything about film by then, you know. Um, and I was always reading about how directors were making films. Um, I didn't get to go to film school until I was a grown man because, you know, I could barely get out of high school um, with all the trouble I was in all the time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was something that I always wanted to do. I got lucky because, you know, we were in school with Dell. Uh, the funky homo sapien and we became buddies over drawing and when he got signed to uh, Electra Records I got to hang out with him and my buddy Kwame um, and you know we got to hang out with the directors of those music videos and we started to like get jobs on those music videos so early on like in the early 90s I was on film crews. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was on film crews. You know, like what were you doing in the beginning? Uh, this is the lucky part is like you know because of the proximity to to Dell, um, Kwame and I both were able. To, Kwame was able to direct, and I was able to uh, second unit direct and assistant direct and help write uh, treatments, which were the, like the scripts for the music videos and come up with ideas. Um, and we got to do it for like. Paris, the Black Panther of Hip Hop, remember him? And uh, the Bums and uh, people like that. Uh, you know, also Souls of Mischief and Dell and Casual. So uh, the more I was on those sets, the more I knew I didn't know shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And at that time, in the early 90s, they still had budgets for music videos. You know, those were a low budget was like 60, 70,000 bucks, you know? So a lot of people working on those videos were like old white guys in unions, you know? So they would tell you, get the fuck out the way and all that stuff. And I was like, I need to lo learn more about this shit because I don't want nobody telling me to get the fuck out the way, you know? <laughs> so that's when I decided to go to school, go to the Academy of Art for cinematography. Uh, but, you know, being a black, half black, half Mexican, Negro type cat, you know? You know, you bump heads with a lot of people that don't see you as a, an artist or somebody that can do this. So I ended up just eventually just start teaching myself and just start making shit myself, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause when <clears throat> watching the videos that you've made, I mean, just the, the, the minute ones that are on Instagram or the one longer ones on, on YouTube. I mean, how, 
how long does it take to make, let's just say, a minute one? Uh, animated, not live action. Like the animated stuff takes a, a while because I don't do it all. I don't sit down and just do it, you know, because I got to feed my family and do all that stuff. And so I'd say it depends, you know, like it could take me about a, a couple of weeks, I'd say. Um, I can do like the short stuff in a day, like a loop of like if there's a character smoking a joint or something like that. Um, <laughs> or like there's a little cartoon where it's a fake uh, uh, Tootsie Roll pop commercial with uh, Hoodfoot, you know? Remember like Woodsy, like the owl licking the, how many, you know, I just did how many tokes can, can it take to smoke this joint or whatever. I did that <laughs> like in two days because it was so funny to me, you know, like I, I just wanted to see that fake Hoodfoot commercial smoking a joint. Um, so it depends how, how I feel at the time. You know, if I think it's funny and I can't get it out of my head, it may just take me a couple of days if it's short. Um, the longer stuff with the puppets, um, you know, I do all that stuff by myself. So that can take a while, you know, that can take months and months. Um, and I only do that stuff as proof of concept because if I say, to people, oh, I want to make a puppet show with animated characters and live action backgrounds. Um, it's a lot of people don't have the imagination to, oh yeah, I see it. They don't see it, you know? So I said, oh, I'll just make these short sort of videos so people can understand this is the concept, you know? So eventually if I sell the show, it'll be, you know, a hundred motherfuckers working on the show. But right now it's just me doing it by myself and trying to get an approximate of what I think it should look like, you know? And I'm always sort of like for the longer format stuff, I, I take it much more serious. So I, I, I tend to take longer to make it just because I want it to look good to me, you know? Cause it, I, what I love, I mean, other than I love everything you do, but <clears throat> the, um, the live action stuff when, when you're doing with the puppets and everything. I mean, that's all you voices and all. Yeah. So I mean, I know you, you got to change it up with the touch of the of yeah, keyboards and everything. Pitch shift and stuff like that. I can always sound like my snotty nose, uh, you know, so different. <laughs> so many times, you know. I was watching them one time on my phone and my grandson was like watching. He wanted to see it. I said, oh, you want to see? So I started showing him all the stuff on there and he he just laughed he liked uh he liked what he saw so i said yeah i said uh, that's one of my friends and he was like oh cool and then uh i was watching it on the tv screen and uh and he was he just sat there and was all just hypnotized by it he loves all the stuff with puppets Right. So he, he was all about it. Because first he was watching, of course, Sesame Street and that type of stuff. I don't like the way they do this new Sesame Street. It, it's not like how it was when we were watching it when we were kids. But right. I guess you got to change with the times. But we're not. Yeah, it is the 21st century, Kevin. <laughs> it's not 1975 anymore. <laughs> I like it so, when it was 1975, dog. Me too. <laughs> I would too. He liked it. I said, I was like, well, here, let me let me show him this, and then he eats sat there and he watched them, nice. and he loves it. At some point, uh, uh, we'll have to come down there and oh yeah, come give, through. give him a puppet show, and he'd probably be amazed. He'd probably <laughs> start crying, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I'll have somebody, you know, I have one of the characters dressed up, and they can give him a hug instead of how them Sesame Place kids be getting pushed down and little black kids getting pushed down and stuff. I know. I just saw that today. I was watching those videos. I was like, man, what's going on over there? Like, what is happening, bro? This ain't my Sesame Street. <laughs> no, it ain't. I was like, what? I didn't even know Sesame had a place going on. I was, I thought it was at some fair or something. I was like, damn. Yeah, they have like a fake theme park out there in Philadelphia. You know, I stay, I keep my ear to the puppy world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was listening to Whoopi on The View. She was going off about it. <laughs> hey, man, that shit, when you see it, it breaks your heart. Because if you got kids, you know how important that is to them, you know. And uh, people always think that we're doing so well. But when it's, it's not just about representation. It's about interaction, you know. And when you see a kid not be able to have the joy of, interacting with somebody that they think is real and that they are in love with and they they think about all the time you know it, it can be detrimental to that kid 
You know, he could be like, yeah. yo, fuck all this shit. I'm going to sell some crack. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when you're on a set and you're yes. working, be it uh, video or uh, music video or just shooting regular things. Um, other than there's other workers with you, I'm dealing with the artists. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. have to give names or anything, but is there times where you're like, oh, I hate these people working with them because they don't want to listen? Many times. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. You know, I've been lucky to work with some super cool people. Um, everybody has their quirks. You know, uh, some people have been told that they're special for decades and they believe that bullshit. And then other people have been told that and they're like over the hump of hearing it and don't care and just there to do the work, you know? Um, I've met people that were brand new to the industry that acted like hyper divas and people that have been veterans that treated everybody like they were family. Um, I think sometimes, uh, you know, so yeah, it's, it's tough, but you know, it's, it's a gig. You got to find something in there. I think this is, it has nothing to do with film or anything. It's just how business works, you know, um, and professionals and no matter what the business you're doing, um, you're not going to love everybody you're working with. So you got to figure out a way to work with those people. Um, and sometimes it's just like a gesture or like paying attention. I'm like an empath. I could peep when somebody's not comfortable. So, um, part of your job is to make people comfortable, uh, because they have to be in front of the camera. So I'm always very deliberate with how I speak to people and, uh, how I help them with their process of performing, you know? And, uh, I try to create a relationship as early as possible and speak with them more and listen to what they want, you know? Um, and I, I've, I've sensed before on music video sets when somebody wasn't getting what they want, I've stopped stuff and taken them aside and like, Hey, is this not working for you? Like what's going on? And they love that because sometimes they don't want to say it's not working. They don't want to look like an asshole and it's okay if it's not working, we'll just make it work, you know? So that's how I do it. When you're, when you're working with, uh, with, uh, music artists, I mean, do they come with you? with an idea of what they want or do you just, Hey, I'm, I'm going to pick Roy and uh, here make our video for us. Sometimes. Yeah. Like sometimes people, they have an idea. I normally try not to work with those people (laughs) because um, unless they have an amazing idea, which that's been rare. Um, But normally people come to me because I, because of the, everything I make is slightly quirky. It looks like I made it. So they kind of want what I made. You know, the best time ever, I had done some stuff for Adeline Records for some bands over there. And another band who wasn't on the record label but knew those bands got my number from from those bands, from, from the record company. And the guy called me up and he's like, is this Roy Miles? I'm like, yep. I heard you like making music videos with hot chicks and robots. I'm like, this is true. <laughs> You want to make a video for us? I'm like, yep. You know, I said, sure. Who are you? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, you called the right number, dog. You know, that's what that's what I'm doing at this point in my life, robots and girls. So, uh, you know, like normally people see what I make and they're like, oh, can we do that? Also, on the other hand, people see what I make and say, can you make that for me? And their music doesn't really inspire that from me. You know, like. Yeah, you like what I make, but I hear your music or the song that you want me to work with, and I think it's whack, or I don't think it matches what I'm doing, so I'm going to say no. You know, I ain't fucking with you. <laughs> Either if you're a nice person or not, I'm just, I'm, if I don't feel it, then I, I try not to do it these days, you know. Do you have to deal with their, um, their record labels or just managers or them? Everybody. Just- everybody. everybody. Everybody, and you know, in some cases, some of these companies have uh, media promotion companies and labels, and the way the money gets spent is like maybe the artist putting up some of the money, then a promotion group is putting up some of the money, and then the labels putting up some money, and then everybody wants to have a say, uh, you know, on the edit or the final product. You know, sometimes even MTV has told an artist once we've made a video, like, hey, 
this has happened a couple of times back in the day. It's not, you know, I don't do much music video work anymore, but back in the day, I had um, a couple of MTV2 premieres, you know, mm-hmm. world premiere video. And <laughs> they told them they could have a world premiere video if they changed this and that, you know, or they spent more money on this effect, which, you know, they may have had a lower budget video. We did what we could do. They're like, this video is great. This part looks cheap. Can you make it not look cheap? And then the record label has to put up some more money for me to reshoot a part, you know, or something like that. How much would one just a a music video cost? I mean, what's the most you've. The most we've ever done. Yeah. It was probably back in the day during that. 70, 80, hundred thousand dollar range. But I would say in the mid two thousands to yeah, the early two thousands to the mid two thousands where we're, you know, I'd say a twenty thousand five it should be five thousand. Five to twenty five K is about what you're gonna spend these days. You can spend way more, but uh yeah. And it's is this, the five is this the five K stuff is you know, like just a few hours, low budget, like running gun, <laughs> make this shit happen. You ain't, you ain't gonna get no snacks. <laughs> is this just craft service? <laughs> is this like um, digital or film? It's digital. I started with film in the '90s, and all that stuff was super 16. But uh, nowadays, everything is digital. I figured that would be more than than digital because. You know, it all, a lot of people think that, but, you know, the shooting ratios versus, um, you know, you got to be specialized to use film these days, right? Um, but, and people use digital and they're a little sloppier and they can shoot more. Uh, I think the only time it really matters is if you're shooting a, a, a motion picture when the cost sort of thing occurs. There's processing and speed that has to happen with film, like getting film processed and getting it color correct and all that stuff is a little bit more time consuming because there are not as many labs around to process that film. So that that you have to take that into account as well. And also you're going to be ed- editing the stuff shot on film digitally anyway. right? You're not going to be cutting the film. They're going to take that film, process it, transfer it, and send you hard drives. So shoot it digital when you're editing it all together is it just you or is you sitting there with the artisan or a bunch of other people trying to do it i i normally just do it myself and then i send uh send a pass a first, you know they call it a first pass i do an assembly like a rough assembly um and then i sort of you know put a time code on that and send send it let them know like this is what it's looking like and then I do another pass if they have any notes. And then and it only takes one or like maybe two times. If an artist starts getting hyper nitpicky and stuff, that can, you know, they don't want this face here or whatever. But most of the time, you know, you can get everything done in less than a week, less than a few days, you know. Because I don't want to spend too much time doing that stuff on those videos because so you got to know what you want to do before you do it, you know, because it's. You know, the budgets, like I said, are small. So every day, every hour that you're doing it, um, you're eating into the the money, the little bit of money that you are getting, you know, your time is becoming uh, less valuable in the project, you know. Do you leave with a big payday or do you just get the chain leftovers? <laughs> Not from that shit, you know. <laughs> I worked on music videos. You know what? The profitable thing for me from music videos became when I became a, uh, I turned my company into like a um, production house and we would work with other directors and we'd shoot for them. And then we would also edit for them. And so their fee would be very small, but all the post-production and production stuff is where the money goes. And that would come to me or, you know, my company. So that's where I learned like, yeah, I don't have to be a director every time. And that actually get, let me free me up to direct things I actually wanted to direct you know, for people I liked <laughs> and, and people that might not have money. You know what I'm saying? Like I made videos for people that didn't have a lot of money. Um, but I, 
I'd made the videos because we were we able we were able to collaborate and come up with fun stuff together, you know. Um, and they weren't famous or anything, but I don't really care about that. I care about making the coolest stuff possible, you know. Well, we're not famous and we don't have no money, so there you go. We, we'd be perfect. <laughs> <You're> perfect. <laughs> I've been on a movie set. I've been in. Uh, I've been in on a music video set, and then the. The big Hollywood production I was on, um, I I got pulled from because there was too many people in the room. Was um, Sister Act, the one Whoopi oh, Goldberg? Yeah. They were filming it in San Francisco. I was on the set, sitting there waiting for the cameras to roll. Uh, Richard Benjamin, the director, came in and goes, "Ah, oh, there's too many people in here. Uh, you, you, and you. Oh, you uh, long hair. Yep, get out. Get <laughs> so, but." I sat there for about a good 30, 45 minutes looking around, watching them set it all up. I mean, Whoopi and all the nuns were, it was in a church, it was one of the church scenes. Oh, it, yeah, was yeah. it was when, it was during the church scene when nobody was going to the church, when they were still trying to get it going. So there was only like maybe 20, 30 people in the room, but it was a huge church and everybody was spread out. It was this big right. church in San Francisco. So sitting there watching uh, like multiple cameras, all the lighting, like a million people standing around the background, and and I, it was it was amazing to see. I wish I could have saw it in action, but I just saw right, them right, setting right. up. But for a music video, uh, that band Exodus, they did oh, yeah. a video in um, West Oakland in this warehouse, and it, it was just pretty much an empty warehouse, and we were just the band was sitting right there and we were all wearing white t-shirts and we were standing around them head banging and acting like the, that, that song was the hit. Right. Um, that was cool. It took all day. It was hot in that warehouse cause there was no AC or anything. They had fans going, but it was just blowing hot air around. But to see how they did that, they had two cameras, two little small handheld cameras. Right. And they had the, they had the lights and everything in there. And to to see that low budget video, to uh, see how work it was, right? Yeah, and to see a big Hollywood production on what was going on because I, at the little music video it was just like vans in a U-Haul outside, right. mainly just probably to bring in the musical entrance and the and the amps. But when at the Sister Act set, you got semis and everything all up and down those streets. Right. I'm like, right. I'm like, damn. I mean, when you guys, I'm sure you didn't have huge semis and everything around, did you? No, 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 no. Uh, no, nah, the only time we've ever had, like, we have trucks, you know, come out, uh, grip trucks. Um, and we do, like, half, uh, yeah, I, they're, they're pretty big grip trucks, but it'll just, we only need one grip truck when we're doing we shot a, uh, a short film last summer, this time last summer, and uh, we shot an old sack, old sack town, you know, because it was a period piece. And, you know, we had people in costumes and, uh, you know, sound department stuff. So that had two grip trucks and um, a catering unit, a COVID compliance team. Um, and that was... That was a low budget movie, you know, short film, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, some days we just had the crew and the camera, you know, and other days like that, we had full light. We had horses, you know what I mean? We had the horse peak trainers. We had people with antique cars come, you know, uh, so those people were there. We had uh, food tents and uh, vans uh, for like uh, mobile homes for the dressing, you know, hair, hair and all that stuff and the, the grip team. They were, uh, you know, so, and we had a costume department. So that was a pretty big production last summer. Um, so it depends, you know, it really depends on what, what they can afford. How much their money they got is what we say. How much money they got? They want to make what? How much money they got? <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's the first question I say. Oh, that's tight. Well, how much money they got? <laughs> you brought up Dell earlier. Yeah. Um, I remember I was getting up, uh, going to work and I turned the MTV on and um, one video from his first album. I wish uh, my brother George was here. The the video sleeping on my couch. <laughs> I, it, I was like, okay. I was like, I was like, fuck, I remember him. And then I see you sitting there playing <laughs> Sega on the couch. <laughs> 
I was like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and seeing you and other guys in the, that we went to school with in that video, I was like, whoa, man. And it was good. I immediately went out and, uh, and found that album on CD. I still have it around here somewhere. And uh, it, it was cool uh, to see that video, to see you in it, and to see uh, just his first album. I like uh, the second one uh, a little bit more, but I mean, to see him in class writing rhymes, sitting there spitting rhymes and everyone talking shit about him and then until, he, oh. and then, until he blew up. And then they were like all over him. Like, oh, man, hey, what's up? I was like, oh, what's, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like uh, that was a good senior year was not was fun for me only because of that, you know, Rasan and Kwame and Gino were my main dudes at that point, you know, uh, we were, because we were all like-minded, you know, we we're about, you know, public enemy X clan, all those groups were like big, big to us, you know? And so we were like black revolutionaries in our mind, you know? And then these <laughs> new guys show up to the school, um, CMPX and Dell, the funky homo sapien, all these, rapper guys <laughs> and what i found out early is that these guys were nerds just like us you know they were talking about the same you know anti-apartheid you know civil rights stuff and also the same x-men comics and the same cartoons you know silver hawks <laughs> so um, our tiny little cohort of people who really love rap music just got a little bit bigger, you know? And uh, these are the first time I met people my age that can rap hella fresh. We always knew people that can rap, but they was always seemed like niggas from high school, you know? <laughs> like, they just, like, <laughs> this nigga sound like he from elementary school or something, you know what I mean? Like, this is, you know, remember like Shawnee D, who's like that? You'd be like, okay, yeah, okay. But they didn't sound like the people on, on, the, on the radio or, you know, on TV, right? And then I, I heard these dudes, their demo rate, their, their demo tape, demo reel, demo tape. And I was like, yo, these are people my age? These are people, this the dude I just met? This is his song? And to me, listening to those original demos was just as big in my mind as listening to De La Soul's first album. I didn't differentiate like the quality of the music I was hearing. You know what I mean? Like, but these cats is from right here. They from they go to my school. Yeah. Like, everything's so that changed. And then it was like, well, this this kid is uh, swaying King Tech. That's his. That's a Tech. Uh, you know, uh, Sway. That's his cousin. Oh, and this kid Ice Cube is his cousin. And I was like, what? <laughs> they're going. <laughs> they're going to my school. You know. And the more I, we, we kicked it and talked, the more I was like, oh, these dudes are just regular dudes, but they're like hyper talented, you know? Like, yeah, they can write raps and produce beats, which was like beyond anything I ever thought anybody my age could do, but also like they could draw too. So that was just like, we had a common language of drawing and talking about rap and stuff. So that's our, and this is pre-hieroglyphics, you know? And uh, I remember one day, Prasan came and said, we're the mad circle. <laughs> I was like, what, what are we? He's like, well, yeah, we the mad circle. And we just started, he started naming all the people that we've been kicking it with. And I was like, oh, okay, we the mad circle. That's tight, you know? And we'd be look, looking for records for people, to, you know, to help. We were all helping make music, you know? So we were buying records and listening to records like, oh, this is a dope sample. Look at this weird sound, you know, stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> Rasan came one day and was like, they all said we can't use Mad Circle no more because his cousin took the name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and our other homie, Emperor Dre, was working with these cats out of New York, and he was calling them hieroglyphics. It was a duo. But they were kind of whack, and so he kind of took the name back. Like, they wasn't doing their shit right. And he was our age, too, but he was like a grown man because he had an, had an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> He was like 19 with an apartment. We was like, oh, Emperor Dre's a grown-ass man. Uh, so we kind of, that name, that hieroglyphic name sort of stuck, 
once he, once Emperor Dre took it from those guys, you know, like took it back from them. So Emperor Dre, you know, these are TMPX and Emperor Dre ended up being people that didn't go further with hieroglyphics. They went on and did their own stuff. But, uh, you know, I remained friends with all those people. And, you know, yeah, I made a movie with hieroglyphics, you know, like a tour movie. So, uh, and I made music videos for them. And, you know, I, I credit Dell as the person that allowed me to start my film career. You know, by by through proximity, giving me opportunity to early on when I was young to jump on a film set and, and be in meetings with directors and producers and stuff. You know, I mean, it's it's cool now. I mean, especially for for hieroglyphics to still be to going on. I mean, a lot of the new cast today, like my son, uh, my oldest son, Mark, he he goes to Hiro Day because he lives down the bay. And he was like, because he was sending me pictures. And I was like, where are you? He goes, oh, we're at wherever. And it's Hyrule Day. And I was like, well, who's there? And he starts rambling off everybody. I was like, shit, I went to school with a lot of those guys. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, son, I didn't just live in this little one-horse town that you grew up in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I grew up in the big middle little city. <laughs> yeah, so. He 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 gets amazed uh, when I start telling him about the old days and everything, as well as my little son now, my youngest son Mark. But he, he ain't about hip hop yet. He's just straight metal and thrash and all that stuff. That uh, hey, my daughters are the same way. They're like, you saw, like they'll be listening to a band. They're like, you saw this band? I'm like, man, I seen everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I tell my son, because we, we just, uh, my uh, son Eric and I, we just saw Primus in Reno. Tickets were like 100 bucks. I said, I remember paying $5 to see them and oh, got right. a cup for a beer. At Ashkenaz or something? At like a party or somewhere, some little rundown little club in, in Berkeley or I was telling in that San to, Francisco to, somewhere. To, to my daughters, like, yo, I saw Nirvana at a, at a, at a, at a not a warehouse, but like a basement. You yeah, because I was I was telling him about uh, uh, Green Day and Rancid. I said I remember seeing Rancid in the in the basement of some co-op in Berkeley. Right. Oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And I and saw seeing uh, Green Day. Of course, you seen them at the uh, Gilman. I seen them at another yeah. too. You know, that was another thing. It's like so. You know, I love music so much. So even when it wasn't like a rap thing, I just love music. So like. Um, I would go to the Berkeley Square since junior high school, you know. Like, remember Chad Norris? Yeah. The homie Chad Norris, he took me to sort of my first punk show at the Berkeley Square in, like, eighth grade or maybe. Uh, because his buddy had a sort of, like, some crazy punk band that was trying to rap. <laughs> <laughs> and all their raps were about, like, demonic Satan stuff. And I was like, oh, that's scary. But I went anyway. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Chad was up there beatboxing and shit. I was like, this is a crazy white boy. You know? <laughs> he didn't seem like that type of guy. I mean, he was always cool. I mean, he was always nice to everyone, but he just seemed kind of quiet. I, I can't see him up there beatboxing. I don't remember him beatboxing all the time. No. <laughs> yeah, he used to beatbox all the time, and people would be like, what is he doing? Because he, he would be dressed like with those leather jackets and all that shit. But then he started beatboxing. And remember, he didn't stay at Montero. He left, I think, by ninth grade. He was he had gone to Berkeley High. Um, but yeah, I remember seventh, eighth grade. He was, you know, really into this. I think they were called the Goat Boys or something. <laughs> yeah, I remember them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, there was oh, a lot man. of stuff we grew up we grew up listening to and going to shows pretty much every week, every weekend. Yeah, and there was always something going on. But my homie man. Malcolm, uh, you, you know, you know Malcolm and uh, Kasasi would come around. But Malcolm, you know, before he left high school, we would go to shows, ska shows all the time, and uh, or or some punk shows and ska shows, and you know, so we saw a lot of those bands at Ashkenaz. Uh, you know, Ika Mouse and all that, you know. And then friends of mine, here's another thing that people don't know about me, 
is that, you know, when I was in high school, I was a, in, I was a singer. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> uh, do you remember? That? I remember all that. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I was in uh, musical theater and all that stuff. So I, 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 I got to travel a lot and got to see a lot of bands. So a lot of people I knew. So Dell is not the only person from high school that I know that went on to be like a notable artist. So in my mind, it was completely normal that people you knew would become famous people on television or famous people in the record industry, you know, but that's, I found out later that was not a normal thing, (laughs) you know, but because of that, seeing that stuff early on and then seeing like the progression of the friends that were, you know, around me, like, oh, that person got signed. This person got signed. That person got signed. Oh, that person. You know what I mean? Like, it just seemed like this is what happens. You know, so you just end up knowing a lot of people that are pretty notable in different genres of music and stuff, you know. And then later on, and because of proximity in film and video and television, you know. So I was just lucky to be where I was at the moment, you know, and be nerdy about it. Is there's a lot of stuff that that we grew up uh, watching or playing with or whatever, but uh, something recently you just did when you did the interview with um was it Sid or Marty Croft? Sid Croft. Sid Croft. Uh, dude, I didn't even I didn't know anything that was coming. I was just on Instagram, and then I said, "Hey, live with Ghetto uh, Japan." I was like, "Okay, I gotta support the homie," and fucking. Fucking Sid Croft. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, for me, other than knowing you and knowing who he is, if you guys know who the Sid and Marty Croft uh, Power Hour or whatever the hell their whole things are with the Land of the Lost and the Sigmund and uh, the Bay City Rollers show, uh, Lost Saucer, Wonderbug, shit like that. If you guys grow up watching those on, on Saturday mornings, I mean, that was like that was our everything. Saturday morning. Yeah, and they it was rock, it, right? <laughs> there, there was so much, but to see him interview you like I'm sure it was probably just you were just flabbergasted by the whole thing but for me sitting there and I remember showing my wife and I was like fuck look I was like Roy's talking with um uh, Sid Croft and she was like what <laughs> she couldn't even believe it I mean <laughs> I, I, I was just like oh my god I, I, I for first of all I, I didn't even know he was still alive but Something like that was just amazing for me to watch. I mean, first of all, how did he get a hold of you? I mean, he started following me on Instagram last year. And um, every once in a while, somebody notable will follow me, and I'll be like, I'm retiring. That's it. I can, there can be nothing greater than this day. You know? <laughs> uh, and that was one of those days when all of a sudden, I was like, oh, shit, Sid Croft just followed me. And, you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I know he's an old dude, you know, so does he use his social media or does he got a bunch of people that, you know, like a young kid that's like just following people random, you know what I mean? So I didn't, I thought it was cool, but I didn't like, I didn't like say, yeah, this is the best, you know, like I didn't think he cared, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I was doing an event with High Fructose Magazine. And uh, at a yum factory and, uh, you know, we were going to have the characters there. So I made a little Hoodfoot video uh, and I posted it. It's like, hey, come and check us out at the children's fairyland, you know. And I wake up the next morning and I'm like, look at my Instagram. Yo, it's been reposted and shared by Sid Croft. I'm like, holy shit. Now I'm really going to retire because I just had he just shared this on his feed. That's so cool. That's, and then later on that, that day, I get a message like, Hey, I do an interview show on Sundays. Can you come on and talk to me? I was done, blood. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, we already, I was prepping to do the stuff at the Fairyland event, you know, and getting all, all the costumes prepped and all that stuff. And all I could think about is like, what am I going to say to this guy? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was great. And he was, uh, I was hyper humbled. Uh, I talked to his uh, manager previous, like before that. 
And she was like, oh, you know, Sid watches all your stuff. And he loves, he talks about how much, how cool it is. And he loves your puppets. And I was like, she's gassing me, bro. That's Cap. You like, <laughs> don't watch that shit. But he knew all the stuff. And then later after the interview, he called me at home. And was like really going hard about how much he loved the stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it was a big deal. You know, like I'd say, like, imagine... Uh, um, Joseph Barbera calling you, yeah. <laughs> you know, like Anna Barbera, or yeah, you know, or uh, uh, Frank Oz, or Jim Henson, or somebody like. To me, that's they they're, they're all in the same caliber, you know. Everybody knows Jim Henson as being a genius because the Muppets were way more successful than the Croft stuff, but like. As far as like impact on me as a human being, not even as an artist, as a human being, um, I'd say that their stuff was bigger to me than the Muppets because there was so much of it and it affected so much of what I would see. Yeah, I remember they did the they designed the banana splits, right? The mm -hmm. HR puffin stuff. The, the McDonald Land characters were designed by them and stolen by McDonald's, but did they design <laughs> the whole McDonald Land based off HR Puffin stuff? You know, like so. Even yeah. the language that they, the visual language they created, was a big part of the '70s, and that's where we, that's where we got it. That's where we became cool kids. Is in the '70s, you know. <laughs> so it's like nobody makes stuff like that anymore. I mean, other than if you just find it randomly on YouTube. Right. Or Instagram or something, but as far as like big productions, nobody nope, nobody does that. Nobody, so like, and they were doing hell of productions, you know. Yeah, and they were all kind of different, but they all kind of had the same sort of vibe, you know. So, yeah, I was just honored to talk to him. I've had, I tell you what, man, I've, I've spent time with Don Bluth, I spent time mm -hmm. with Ray Harryhausen, and talking to Sid Croft, and like, I've just been lucky to have real conversations with people that uh, have shaped me as an artist and a human, you know, like I got to, I, I won't tell the story, but I got, uh, I, I got to spend a, a, a weekend with Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember you told me that before. I, I, I can't even believe that. Like it's... that shit was crazy, bro. And like, so I, I got a, a, a charmed life. You know, like stuff like that will happen and it won't be because I did. Like It won't be because I was like looking for that to happen. You know, uh, I was working at a place one time and they were like, oh, we need somebody to, to take care of this this project. And it was Don Bluth, you know, so I got to hang out with Don Bluth. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Secret and Nim and Dragon's Lair and animation and just like. And I've seen him since then, you know, and conventions and stuff. And he's like, hey, Roy. And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come you talk on, Kelly man. Bundy's brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, uh, not Bud Bundy, uh, boys and girls. Is the <laughs> no, no, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Applegate was <laughs> one of our students. That was cool. That was me. me getting, we got to meet her. That was cool. I mean, I've oh, met a lot man. of celebrity people, but, like, it's different when – it's not like meeting them like, oh, nice to meet you. And you like, you know, it's this is like, oh, this is somebody coming to you because of what you do or they're coming to you because of the industry you work in and they work there, too, you know, and um, somehow you 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 the person that you the point person or in this case, I'm the person that they wanted to talk to, you know. So it's just, you know, get lucky. Uh, I guess <laughs> doing uh, the stuff in, at cons. I mean, the last one we went to was uh, 2019, yeah. San Diego, and uh, that was good enough. I mean, when you were when you were doing the cons and having your own little booth and everything, I'm especially San Diego Comic Con. I'm sure that was a pretty penny just to get Ooh. however big of a space that you had to have uh, that going on. Yeah, and the shenanigans that went on there. I remember you telling me all, all that. But my Funko beef. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I've been not seen no Funko pops. I'm gonna knock them down. 
Oh, don't don't come here. I got a bunch behind me, and oh, <laughs> they're everywhere. They're everywhere, bro. I can't get yeah, away. They, they they they. I just went to the headquarters up in Everett, Washington, and they actually that place looks neat. I would go there. I would totally go there. It was cool. There's one in Hollywood I want to go to. They say it's not as big, but the yeah. uh, the headquarters one. It's it's cool. It's a cool little setup on what they got there. But um, it's getting late, everyone, and I'm sure we both got to get up and. <sighs> or get up and milk them cows. Yep. I know we could be here all night, everybody. I mean, Roy's got such uh, a long, long story on what he has done throughout his career. Uh, and I'm just from the bottom of my heart, brother, man, I'm just glad that that we met. And I am love listening to your stories and sitting there and just laughing around about the old days and everything and just seeing all the stuff that you're doing now. And what's, I think what the other thing that's really cool is like how my sons are like all about, uh, what you, your, your artwork and everything. Cause my older son, I remember he was talking to his buddies and he's like, yeah, man, this is my, uh, my dad's friend. And they're like, nah, I'm wow. like, I was like, I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, get Geppetto. Do you know him? I said, yeah, I said, it's my homie. Went to school together. They're like, what? For, <laughs> down, for some reason, they think you're this big, rich millionaire. <laughs> but, um, well, I don't think that I am a big, rich millionaire. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, man, he's doing good, man. I mean, that that's the homie. He's out there doing it. And they're like, wow, man, that's awesome. So, I mean, it's cool. I'm, I'm, glad that uh, my sons are just really into your stuff i mean um just because of me everything that pretty much that they got into was because of me I mean, the, their love right. of star wars their love of comic books and and art and music and everything even my little grandsons they come in here and see all my things that i stuff that i collect right they i really slowed down yeah they want to they want to touch it. it and open it and i'm like nope keep your Don't hands off yeah, you can't no, have any of this until I'm in the ground. What you do, you know? Yeah, so I mean, I, I love them to death. I mean, I love them when they come in here and just start poking around, looking at things, and uh, they're slowly getting into uh, slight horror stuff. I'll I'll right, find yeah. little kid horror videos on, on YouTube and and let them watch that stuff. But I mean, isn't it great just that we live in a time where you can be like? make a kid a real horror nerd by just starting off with very low level horror stuff that's there's a lot of cool stuff available and you just build it up until they're total freaks <laughs> yeah because uh, <laughs> uh the one that i always started off with my kids was poltergeist uh poltergeist. the toby hooper film that first one i i died this this is pretty good it's gruesome in parts but it's pg yeah. i mean so I think that I would start him off with that one. But with Daniel, he's already into Chucky and all that, but he hasn't seen any of those movies. I said, right. you're way too young for any of that. But he knows who these characters are. He'll come in here. He knows who Jason is. He knows who Michael Myers. He knows who Drew <laughs> Freddy is. He knows who they are. He doesn't know what they do. <laughs> so, right. Well, you know, it's but, great. It's like, I remember so uh, my my oldest now she's 18 on her way to college but a little when she was a little baby gabby i used to on my nightstand i used to have like stacks of magazines most of them were fangoria magazines <laughs> <laughs> you know light reading before you go to sleep and uh, i remember coming in my room and she was probably a little not two years old yet you know she could speak and move around uh, and she had one of my magazines and she was like thumbing through it. You know, you always hear about your kids, the kids finding the Playboy, but she found the horror monster. <laughs> and she's like, uh, I was like, oh, what's going on? You know, and she's like, Papa, is he hurt? You know, it's just some guy with a completely disintegrated head and face, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's. That's a that's fake. It's plastic. It's like a rubber, like a mask, like a Halloween, you know. She's like, what? And then, so we just start having comments. I said, well, let me get this magazine. And she held onto it so tight. She's like, this is mine. I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, what do we? What do I do here? You know. And I ended up just showing her how to make fake blood that day. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the corn syrup and the, you know what I mean? Like I was like, and she's like, oh. And then, you know, as she got older, we'd watch 
like just not that much. I mean, they grew up watching all that shit, you know. I would show them the Italian horror films, and you know, when they were they were in the single digits, and be explaining to them the difference between American horror and how it influenced and back and forth and the Jello films and all this stuff. <laughs> so they know all that stuff, you know, like they understand it, and uh, I think it's great, you know. I think I always think like, well, what? How old was I when I saw this? Okay, I'll wait an extra year, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a year on it, you know. But yeah, like, and also like, uh, I know we got to get off pretty soon, but like um, having daughters and then watching Carrie. Oh, Sissy Spacey, yeah. um, it changed the dynamic of what that movie was for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always liked that movie, but it made me love that movie, watching it through their eyes, you know. Like, oh, this movie's not about what I thought it was about. This movie is so good. You know, like, this book was good, but this is amazing movie. And, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I always say girls are more prone to horror because they have to deal with their body more than boys do. You know, as their body changes, um, like, a little bit of blood for them, but it ain't shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> the majority of the horror is... More the majority of the horror we grew up, it was always the the final girl. It was the final girl, right? Rare there there was a final guy. I mean, there had there is final guy films, but it was mainly yeah, the Nightmare uh, on Elm Street Two is final final guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> but with that, everyone, it's gonna be the final for uh, for us for now. But Roy will be back, man. He, like I said, he's got plenty more to do, and there's plenty more to talk about. But final man. This, yeah, <laughs> this is just a taste exactly. of who the ghetto Geppetto is. So, <laughs> but uh, Brother Roy, man, let everyone know uh, how they can get a hold of you and uh, see all your stuff. All right. Well, the best way is really to go on Instagram and follow Ghetto Geppetto. That's G H E T T O G E P P E T T O. Uh, you can also follow Hoodfoot. Uh, which is, uh, if you don't know how to spell Hoodfoot, you probably shouldn't follow me at all. Uh, <laughs> and we're on we're on Twitter now. And the Twitter, I got to actually look at, or not Twitter, tick, I'm so old, nigga. Uh, <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> what do they call this? Twitter? <laughs> uh, I think on, that's on old. Tic- <laughs> on TikTok, it's at uh, the Hoodfoot. Uh, and you'll see some stuff there. And I'm trying to do some experiments on TikTok that I don't do on Instagram. Um, and some some of them, I they get reposted there. But there's always sort of like, I'm starting to do stitches and react to other people's videos and stuff like that. Uh, well, not me, but Hoodfoot is. Really quick, what's this little ghetto blaster's name? Oh, that's the nerdy boombox, the cutest kid in the block. All right. <laughs> I, need, I need one of those. <laughs> I need one of those. I well, everybody needs a nerdy boombox in their life. He's the funniest character. Um, <laughs> I love that little guy. You know, he represents like the true spirit spirit of hip hop, and so which is brotherhood and unity, right? If you go back to the original idea of hip hop, is getting these gangs to throw parties instead of throw fights, right? So. <laughs> That's, next time that's the, that's the origins of hip hop is like let's stop these crazy gangs from fighting and we're going to throw parties against each other that's what we're going to do that's where the Zulu <laughs> Nation came from that's where breakdancing against other people emceeing against other people all that stuff came from that and so he sort of represents the, the fun side of hip hop uh, Hoodfoot represents just you know East Oakland weed guys <laughs> Next time Roy's on the show, it's gonna be a video because he's gonna introduce all his little characters. I mean, he could talk about them now, but you guys probably have no idea what they look like. So yeah, yeah. But just go on the thing, you know. We'll see what happens. Next time I come down there, we'll have to make oh, a yeah. video. We'll do it. We'll make a TikTok. Oh yeah, let's make a show. TikTok together. <laughs> show all your characters. Let's make a Snapchat. That too. Have that still. 
I think so. I don't know. Uh, I know we did it for a minute, but then TikTok came and blew that one out of the way. So, but well, anyway, okay. we'll do the TikTok. <laughs> We're gonna get all the likes, brother. <laughs> Everybody, uh, follow Ghetto Geppetto Instagram, Hoodfoot on TikTok, and everything else. But uh, brother Roy, man, it's always good to see you visually and uh, talk to you, man. I mean, just like I said, got plenty of stories, man. Nothing but love uh, for the homie. And uh, we'll see you guys on next time. So anything else before we get out of here? Not that I can think of. All right, man. It's getting Get late. We're old. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're old men. So yeah. we got to go to bed. <laughs> so much. Sleeping. Yeah. With that, everyone, just be safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. So until then, everyone just party on, rock hard, and skate fast. Peace.